Welcome to Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through cyberspace with conversations that are candid and are about human behaviour and technology. Brought to you by Kath Nibs. Welcome to this week's episode, and this is a goodbye 2019 and welcome 2020. Well, today's episode, one of my favourites ever, 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 um, because we talk about things that are really important to me and my clients. We're talking human potential and where we're heading in life. Now, we kind of start with education, thinking, heuristics, learning. Um, Saga's got some fantastic quotes throughout this episode. Um, one of them is to do with um, where you study or work is not the sum of your life, which I thought that was a brilliant quote. And I've, I've kind of been holding that in mind to reflect back to you. Um, but this is an episode for those of us who don't quite know where we're going. Those of us who feel that what we did or do for, for younger people at school is going to define who we are for the rest of our lives, which is not necessarily true. This is about those of us that meander, those of us that want to specialise and those of us that need to kind of just find our way. Um, we didn't really get onto the aspects of um, Saga's work as um, a product manager at, uh, in Ballas. And what we did talk about actually was a little bit about how they produce games and assessments to measure, you know, varying aspects of human potential. Um, we we really went the whole 360 degrees on um, human beings and Saga's reflections are amazing. Um, I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. It's, it's one that I... Um, purposefully saved up for the new year because I really want to get going and, and start 2020 with that refined focus that I was looking for for cyber signups. Um, this is, yeah, this is the beginning of me having more in-depth conversations about humanness, real um, authentic living phenomenology, which is kind of the lived experience of people. Um, and yes, we are going to be talking about tech going through 2020, but I don't want to talk about just the tech anymore. I want to really get into what I wanted to get into right at the very beginning of um, Cyber Synapse, which is about humans. Um, with, with the work that I do in terms of sitting with clients in therapy, uh, this, is, this is the most rewarding part of listening to people. Um, is you get to learn so much from people's stories and so much from their their experience that it can really help you feel like you're not alone. And for many, many of my clients, that's one of their their biggest ills, if you like. But this can help you kind of find your way in terms of being worthy, but worthy of something. And that something is is down to each and every one of us to find what that is. Um, so this episode is is one that you, I'm hoping, really, really like. Um, and obviously, feedback's welcome. And I will see you all as we go through. I've got some lovely interviews lined up for January and February. Um, so can't wait to bring you those as well, because those are about people talking about their human potential, their why. It's just really exciting. Um, so I will speak to you all soon. Have a wonderful new year if you're listening just before new year. And I hope you had a great new year celebration and see you as we go through 2020. Take care.
Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week I'm joined by Sega Doshi and we met six months ago, maybe six months ago. Oh, I've started this well, haven't I, here, so, uh, Saga? Six months ago at UK um, and we had a fantastic conversation. And on the back of that, I asked you to come on the podcast because what you do is the opposite end of um, some of the conversations that I've had so far. So you are currently a product manager for Imbellus. Now, we're going to get into the, the rest of your bio as we go through this, but would you like to start with telling us who Imbellus are and what you do? Most definitely. Thanks for having me on, Kat. So Imbellus is a company I started working with somewhat recently. What drew me to them is that I've, uh, I've been very interested and focused on, on game design or in general, I think you could say, uh, the design challenge of of any sort of interactive software, any sort of interactive digital experience. Mm -hmm. and what's quite unique about Embellus is that they are taking a game-based methodology, uh, but are applying it in a very, very distinct arena. Uh, and that arena is in skills assessments and in the evaluation of, of sort of what our overall potential is. Uh, in fact, they work not really in the entertainment game space that we all know and love very much, but they, they actually work, if you were to ask them, in the assessment space. And in other words, they're not competing with, with uh, game studios or other game makers, although perhaps they are for talent. Uh, but they are competing with our typical multiple choice exams, uh, standardized tests that we might all take as students or in, in other parts of life. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. exams and assessments don't stop just when you finish, when, just when you graduate. Um, they exist in a number of different contexts. Our overall hope is to have a better and more accurate way of measuring how someone thinks, not just what they know. Most of our education system comes out of the Industrial Revolution. And out of the Industrial Revolution, it was relevant to know what topics and products you knew, how, could you, how you could do a specific thing, whether you could replicate that thing in a different industry or in a different environment, right? What's different now is that, is that the, the skill needs have become more abstract as information has democratized, right? This is a, an old story. You all know this. Uh, it's easier to find specific facts, uh, and it's harder to, to draw bigger principles. It's harder to critically think about why something happens, to infer about causality, to, uh, to perhaps consider your own biases, what you might be uh, attuned <laughs> to thinking for that, that could lead you down, down bad alleyways. Uh, understanding what the truth is and how to recognize it. Uh, certainly, it's a top, top topic of conversation across the Western world, if not beyond. Um, so the, the difference is, if we just take a peek at how we measure, measure students and people more generally right now, um, you'll be surprised to discover that much of it hasn't changed for a century. Um, about a century ago in the United States, which is where I'm yeah. from and where the company is based, uh, it turns out that a number of very prestigious school heads a, a commission of, of, big, of, uh, of the heads of, of Princeton, Yale, Harvard, schools like this came together and said, hey, we need to start filtering who's coming into our program. Up until then, uh, it's surprising, but all you really needed to know was to know Latin and to know some of the classics. And really, that was it. Uh, if you, yeah. you, you could make it in. And the fees at the time were nowhere near as high as they are now, even accounting for inflation. And so they, they came together and they said, we, we ought to pull together something that we're going to call the College Board and uh, use that as a way of, of guiding what er earlier level education is, what secondary school education is, primary school education, and so on. Um, yeah. And out of that came the modern system of standardized tests in the United States, is, at least. The UK has a, has a, has a different history of, of where that comes from, but it amounts to very similar things. Um, the A-levels that people take after school are 
are, are a similar version of this. And, and this has been happening all over the world, right? It's a familiar part of the childhood experience and of the student experience. You go through school, yep. you learn a topic, you get examined on that topic, and then uh, the summer comes and you immediately forget it all. Uh, yeah. This is the, this yeah. is the one side, right, Kat? <laughs> well, this is the, um, the the other three hours. So quite often um, in this country, we talk about the three hours as reading, writing, arithmetic. This is read, retain, regurgitate. Yeah, exactly. That, that, so, yeah. So there you go, right? But and it's such an internal part of our culture that we often don't question these things. But if you think about, if you just like bring things down to brass tacks, what's the purpose of a test? If you're designing a test, what are you doing that for? Well, usually you're doing it to determine whether someone knows something and can apply that knowledge across their life in different contexts. If yeah. the fact that we've all learned our times tables when we were little uh, means that that's a generalized skill that we're actually able to apply in lots of contexts, maybe sometimes in board games and sometimes in our personal finances and sometimes in mm -hmm. our, our university work, right? Um, but that very basic skill we've applied in lots of different contexts. Um, the trouble is most of the time, what, the way we've designed our tests and the way we've designed our assessments we are encouraging you as a student to to cram and to study up until for a very specific moment to to yeah. return back that knowledge on one day and then never again retain it uh when yeah. you when you think of your favorite your favorite classes your favorite teachers very often uh those are likely to be teachers who try to bring you generalized principles that stuck with you things that that gave you a way of approaching the world a lens to look at things so anyway this is all a big intro to basically say that uh that a test when you design it really oughtn't to require studying it. Your life should be studying for it. It should be everything that you've done up through then. And it's meant to be an assessment of where you are now, just so that we know if you can apply it or not. Right. Yeah. yeah. So this, this kind of goes with, um, so the, what, what, what we're getting towards here today is we're going to start talking about human potential and you know, it, it, this is, this is really for me. And I think we said it just off camera before we started. Yours is the top-down approach, whereas a lot of what I've been talking about is working with people doing what they're doing, and that's the that's the bottom-up approach. Hundred percent. So, yeah. So I mean, just to let people know, in terms of um, your your bio, which I will put in the show notes, is there's there's um, a lot here from the MBA that you were doing and political science and international security. And then the computing science, and actually, you've got you've got an amalgamation of many many disciplines that are coming together, which realistically you may well have gone down a specialised route. So I think what I tend to say for a lot of my clients is, you know, we we take children and we ask them to be very very generalised by the time they're at GCSE le le okay. level, and then they become more specialised. But if a child wants to be specialised as, as as a younger you know seven eight nine year old, we really really detract them from that. And, and I, I find that really difficult to um, sit alongside, actually, because that's what we're aiming for as adults is to be specialised. And, you know, we tend to call them hobbies, obsessions is usually where it's labelled for the, the young people. And I think if they could start being specialised as young children, actually, by the time they grow to an adult, they're not going to be generalised. That would be much better for the population because there's no need for us all to be generalised if there's so many different variations of um, specialization, we're all good at the thing that we're all good at. Yeah, this is, this is so true, right? It's, it's so hard to, to build a culture that incentivizes the general development of human potential, right? Like if you, if you are some, some, benign, uh, some benign deity looking over society, ideally you would want people to be distributed as to where their talents and their passions yeah. take. 
right? Because those are the people that are going to have a competitive advantage in whatever that field is that they discover. Mm-hmm. And you don't know ahead of time, right? You don't know ahead of time that, oh, this group of people is really good at computer science and this group of people is really good at musicology and this group of people is really good at physical therapy. You don't know, right? You, you, have, to, you have to allow for a certain amount of randomness and, and try to design a system from a, from a societal level that pulls people into whatever direction is best for them, right? Yeah. So this is, this is part of what we were hoping to do. I think one, one belief that the company has that I work for is, is that these top systems, all of these little details I've described about how testing regimes are structured and where they come from and what our history is for this, all of this has cascaded down. And it's mm-hmm. cascaded down into many of us trying to seek out the same goal. Uh, because when you have a test and when you get a number at the end of it, uh, the, the common thing that happens is you will start working towards that goal instead of what that is a heuristic for, right? It's a heuristic for Absolutely. what your potential is, yeah. what you could do. But instead, we get test prep classes and we get an entire culture of testing that's all about you getting uh, the top marks in this specific format. Grades yeah. don't matter, right? Grades are meant to be a proxy for how you can apply knowledge later. Uh, and if our system, right, if our system from university on down incentivize schools and therefore incentivize families and therefore incentivize uh, young, young children uh, to, to, to pursue something to a degree of, of, of excellence, even if that something wasn't already defined yet, even if it's an industry or an area that we don't know about yet, well, then that's a good system. That's a better thing to do. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah, and I'm immediately I'm going, and this is why I really, really wish I had known about the Montessori schools when my children were little. Uh, if I, I mean, that's that's kind of um, something that I sit with um, conversations, clients, uh, my own children, talking about. You know, there's there's a huge difference between what I see in the therapy room and sometimes what I see um, with with friends and family. That and it might just be because of the people that I hang around with, but there's something about, I allowed my children to do things. So I think I was teaching my children how to change. Um, in fact, one summer I remember sitting out with my youngest and he was about seven or eight yeah. and um, a mouse had chewed through some wire. So I said, right, these are called chop blocks. This is what you do. You match that wire to that. And, that. and I had him, you know, rewiring to, to educate. I've taught them how to change a plug. Uh, I've, I've explained concepts that are really, really important in the real world and you know let them have a go when i was uh, this sounds so irresponsible doesn't it but it wasn't no, no, not at I would all. let them have a go with the tools and go you know because they'd see me doing something like what is that that you're using well it's a uh, it's a food mixer or it's a drill or you know i'll stand with you and oversee what you're doing and then you develop the skills so that when you become 18 25 30 you can do a lot of this for yourself right. you lower the barrier to experimentation right <laughs> yeah I mean, my my kitchen was absolutely covered in, um, and the number of people that commented over the years, like, why have you got purple on your ceiling, Kath? I went, because we played with uh, chemistry sets. Well, and we made, you know, we made explosions and things popped and burnt. And because that, that, for me, that was about how my children learned. And I tend to sit with a lot of clients, generally, May, uh, well, it's April, May, June time. And I sit, uh, so often talking about actually that GCSE or that A-level is a yeah. snapshot one day yes, yes, assessment yes. of who you are. And, and by the way, it's not meant to be anything different. All of that extra meaning is stuff that we've ascribed to it because once you have a number, it's so easy to say like, oh, well, we'll, we'll anchor our admissions to this number. We'll anchor our yeah. understanding of you as a human by this number or at a general level, the yeah. name of the school or the credential that you have, right? <laughs> yeah. I, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. I think, I, I, by the way, I, I think a lot of parents struggle with this and they appreciate this, right? I don't think anyone's ever expected that public school education is meant to give you everything you need to be a, a working, functioning adult and citizen in the modern world, right? I mean, we, we have families to, to fill in those gaps, right? Like they, we teach our children all sorts of things that you might not get in the classroom that are still relevant, right? And all of the things you brought up are, are perfect examples of that. Every, I'm sure every parent has a loving story that, uh, or many, right, of, 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 of lessons that matter to them and they felt really important that have become really important for their kids lives. Yeah, yeah it, it, it feels a little bit like, um, so quite often I talk about the education system actually, when you were talking earlier, it's very much, well it is, it's still the system that was around with the Victorians yep. and, and we've improved in technology, with science, you know, with so many other subjects and we're still doing the uh, repeat, rotate, you know, rotate, rotate, rotate. Um, we're doing the, the, you know, just practicing, listening, regurgitating, forgetting, moving on. And, and I do, I do remember um, one client saying, well, when, when am I going to use Pythagoras? And that's, the, that's probably, or where, when am I going to use geometry? Who cares? X, X squared plus. And I said, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. But what you don't know is that actually you'll apply it in a different way, but you won't yeah. recognize that it's Pythagoras. This is the question, right? And a learning scientist would call this, um, what's the general principle, what's the construct, the mental construct you're expressing that you can then um, cross over, right, into another space, into another discipline? Because it's not knowing the name Pythagoras, right? But it's understanding the fact that a hypotenuse is longer than any two angles. So if I'm traveling from here to here and I'm going across these blocks, it's actually potentially faster if I cut through, you know? Like those, those are the principles that we start to internalize that are based off of these uh -huh. things, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so this is exactly like th this might seem away from the discussion of what an actual software company might do, a for-profit software company does, but this is actually absolutely central to, to, to what we are, are trying to accomplish, right? Um, for these hundred years, this has worked reasonably well for us. Um, I'm not an expert on pedagogy, uh, on the best way of actually teaching or to conveying these things, but I do feel that, I do feel that you want to empower your educators and your parents, right, with, with, with tools that help you understand where, where a child can go to. And, and it doesn't have to only be for children. It, this is a, adults are not stat, static uh, individuals either, right? We grow, we change, we adjust our interests, right? You speak to anyone who's, who's, uh, who's, who's built a family uh, and you'll, you'll find that they've probably gone through many phases of interest in their life, right? Like things where, area times of their lives where different, different, different things were, were paramount to them, right? Yeah. So what we do is, what we do uh, to bring it back to games actually is, Right now, most typical standardized tests before you go to university in the States, uh, there's a couple famous ones, one called the SAT and one called the ACT. The specifics don't matter, but for the most part, they typically measure maths and then they measure verbal skills. Uh, and these are very famous. It's sort of like built into the culture of, of uh, the American educational experience. You watch an 80s high school movie and it's always about these types of exams, right? Those, those tests are are not actually curious whether you are, whether you know pre-calculus. They do want to make sure you know your numbers and you know your basic abilities, right? The multiplication tables we've talked about, right? But they don't really, they're not really curious, do you know this, this slightly obscure geometric theorem? Uh, what, they're, what they're using is they're using maths as a heuristic for some deeper level of knowledge, for rational thinking, for the ability to understand what, what, the, the cause-effect relationships are between one variable and an output, right? They're trying yep. to get at this general, this, general, this general system, and it's a mix of both of these things, right? But the reason they're trying to get at it is because it's very hard to measure how good you are at critical thinking. It's very hard to measure, are you a good problem solver or not? 
So what we do is uh, we, ne we, we can never know exactly what's going on in the human brain, but we, we use this heuristic that's out here, and that heuristic is, is maps in this particular example, right? The mm -hmm. thesis of my company is that we are at a state now where actually, if we are thoughtful about it and we're careful about it, we can measure not exactly what's going on in the brain, but something a bit closer than the broader heuristic of mathematics. We can maybe measure one of these abstract skills a little bit more directly. Um, in our case, a, a prime example would be problem solving. Problem solving is an abstract skill. We use it in lots of scenarios. I use it when I go to the grocery store. I use it when I um, am having a, a debate about, about our, our house and our future with my wife. I, I use it in all sorts of contexts, right? When I'm deciding how, what my best commuting path is. Uh, how could you possibly measure that? In what scenario would you, would you best do that? How do you do that, by the way, in an unbiased way that we apply problem solving uh, here in the UK? Or, or even in an urban area like London, where I live, is going to be dramatically different than how you would do it in a small town in, in Oaxaca or something, right? Yeah. So, so this, is the, this is the challenge we, we pose to us. So what we've done is we, we've structured our company by hiring a bunch of learning scientists and hiring a bunch of psychometricians. These are all just people who are expert in how we, how the, how we learn things and then how we assess that learning. Uh, and here we have we have true novelty, right? Like this is this is where we feel our contribution is. We we hire a bunch of them. We hire a number of game designers, um, and we hire product managers like me. And it's our job to to come together with these groups and design tasks that that better get at measuring those abstract constructs, those mm -hmm. abstract ideas. Yeah. We hire a bunch of engineers then, uh, generally people who are experts in building games uh, or in building interactive systems, and we convert that into reality. Right? So on a day-to-day -day basis, actually, a lot of our work is very similar to what a game studio would, would have. They come up with a concept, they're, they're designing for a different goal right? than, than we are. Uh, often their goal might be fun or repetition or, or uh, mastery of something. Right? Ours is, is, is measuring an abstract skill set, uh, and then we, we put it into action. I, w I was actually thinking, I mean, apart from the fact that I was hearing um, all of my favorite things in the background there in terms of um, the cognitive stuff, you know, like the, <laughs> the, the psychometrics and the, uh, I suppose you'd be using um, Bayesian logistics and you've got people doing normal, normal logic gates and so on. And, and Yeah, most certainly, right? Like the, the hard challenge is in a, in a very typical exam, you, it's very easy to see what you are measuring and then what your mm -hmm. Your output is right. We we give you a question, and that question has four possible choices, and your output is what your answer is, right? And we can tie a specific measurement ideal, a construct, to that question. Yeah. In the environment, we also have to sort of understand what our items are. What are our, the questions that we're that we're measuring? Even when maybe I give you a game-based challenge that's general, right, and that's broad, and that's a broader objective, um, I have to figure out what to measure in those things, and then what to tie that to. That's the core challenge of our work here. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking there's two. One thing that popped up whilst you were talking is actually what, what do you think? So I'm going to do two questions here, sure, one yeah. about outsourcing. So what do you, let's go with that one first. What do you think about the idea of um, outsourcing problem solving? So when you were talking, I was thinking, actually, I've seen an app to do with navigation around London and it's called TubeMap. And what you do is you go, I want to go from here to there. Yep. And instead of doing what I had to years and years ago, which was stand in front of the map and go, right, I'm here. Where do I want to go? Which lines do I need? Yep. There is now an app that outsources and does it for you. So what, what do you think about the, the idea of the more we outsource, the less we're actually using our own, you know, cognitive problem solving skill sets and, you know, our 
our brain as it's meant to be? Yep, that's a super good question. I, look, I, I generally feel that what you're describing is what, what are we able to automate? And the things that we're able to automate, at least at first, are, are the, the ones where there is a very specific answer in response to very specific inputs. Those are always the easier things to automate. Um, yeah. Google Maps, City Mapper, all sorts of these little tools um, that, that we'll use to, to answer the simpler problem-solving question of what's the fastest or cheapest or best way for me to get from point A to point B. That's a, that's a well-understood problem. Usually, by, by, by letting a, an auto, a computing process automate that, that generally frees up your mind to do other tasks and to focus on other problems you're trying to solve. I spend far less of my time dealing with navigational problems now and more of my time dealing with social problems or dealing with, with, uh, with uh, intellectual ones, maybe. That's a very kind of hoity-toity way of describing this, and it may not happen all the time. But that, that same thing is true for any type of technology that we added, right? Like once we, once we started using um, winter coats and parkas instead of, instead of like purely pure like thin leather that we had to tan by down by the, down by the river, right? We, we no longer were dealing with the, with the problem of cold as frequently, and one could argue that therefore we are less able to survive in the wild, right? Um, that may well be true, but we live a different life. In, in yeah. our life today, that's not usually a prime challenge that we have. We have other problems that we are confronting, right? Yeah. The, re the reason I ask that question is it's, it's slightly loaded in terms of I've, I've done um, maybe a couple of paragraphs about that in the book, uh, in my book, because I see so often um, this myth around using iPhones is making us lazy, picking up on GPS, you know, yeah. using a GPS, using uh, uh, these apps actually creates a laziness particularly and it's particularly aimed at adolescents generally you know it's making them lazy they're not retaining information and there is something about well actually they are they're retaining different information to yeah, that, totally. that that which we're trying to measure you're optimizing for a different goal right mm -hmm. and you know like look most new technologies when they come out and i think we could still argue that that mobile technology which has been up for just a little over a decade right in the way that we think of it is, is still relatively new i mean we we would have felt that the telegraph was still new in the 1890s even though it had been yeah. out for a couple decades at this point right it it doesn't start in the most efficient and perfect way right this is for anything that immediately takes over society at a fast scale like this it it's gonna have it's gonna have costs there's gonna be benefits right and we and it's, it's in between the consumers and in between the designers and the producers, you, you start to work out what the best design is for this, that best serves the consumer's needs, right? And, mm -hmm. that, and that producers are best able to build for it. Um, yeah. So it, well, uh, this, is, this is a bit on the side of what our normal topic is, but I do think it's relevant, right? Because this, like, that's a, it's just such a perfect emblematic example. There is going to be something over the next 15 years that is as, as uh, momentous for us as, as mobile phones have been for the last 15 um, yes. Well, the, the one that I saw yesterday and I replied to today, I actually um, meant to read it a bit more in depth last night. Um, there's a piece of research that's been um, commented on on Twitter and there's, there's kind of two camps about it. One um, is the language skills of young children are now being um, impacted by devices. And again, it's that oh, this isn't this isn't a cause causal statement however it's being used in that way um but there is a cyber psychologist that's decided to go yes see i told you no screens until the age of three because this is definitely a thing i'm like but is it is it could it be that parents are so busy 
being at work that actually they're not interacting with their children in the same amount of time as they did in the 1950s. And perhaps that's the reason why children's uh, lexicon is less than. But apparently they've done it in an fMRI and now they can tell that it's definitely this region and it's blamed on screens. I do love I do love uh, our willingness to use acronyms to, to scare off the majority of people from just thinking about the common sense of these things sometimes. Right? It's yeah. like, it's so easy to try to, to, to spout a bunch of a bunch of mumbo jumbo and be like, well, therefore I know what I know what's best. I don't know, man. It's like every every new piece of technology is complicated, and that doesn't mean that you stop being a family, right? That doesn't mean that you stop um, parenting in it with certain principles in mind. It just means the application of those principles might be different. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Right. So yeah, so how do we? Yeah, let's going back to the the kind of human potential because I know we've got um, probably um, a veering towards how do we get to optimal perf uh, performance? Yeah, uh, which is one of my favorite things to talk about, which will include flow. Um, it, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, let, let me put a bow on the on the top down discussion though that we were having before. I, I, I at this point describe sort of the, the the nature of why we felt this type of work was relevant, um, and specifically this company and what what it's doing. It may not be the only player in this space eventually, right? I would hope that lots of people in lots of parts of the world try to experiment with that. Yeah. But I do think that it's relevant to to keep in mind that we talk about games or 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 just cyber activity in general as being as being something that uh, consumers are mostly interested in and kind of like the, the serious but the corporate world doesn't care about. But one thing that I've come to discover is that that's not true. Uh, every time we use heuristics, there is a cost to that, right? There's, we're going to lose precision. And we use heuristics because, because they, they work, right? I mean, the, the, we, we open our eyes wide when we're shocked because that's usually the best way of getting in new information, right? Yep. It turns out that, uh, that sometimes we'll be wrong, right? Sometimes we'll make the wrong choice. Uh, a lot of big companies today that use these types of heuristics, and they may not be exactly the same, but they'll be correlated. For example, take a, take a big famous bank or a big famous consulting company or a big famous um, financial uh, accounting firm or something like that. These are big, big, massive employers in, in London, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're considered safe jobs, and they're also considered paths to, paths to secure careers, especially for people who don't have, uh, who don't have the, the socioeconomic wherewithal ahead of time. Yeah. All of these, these organizations will first look to see, do you have an Oxbridge degree and do you have a score of this much? And are you getting a, a are you, are, did you study a, a relevant degree in this area and so on? But I think, Kathy, you and I both can think of loads of people that we've met who haven't gone through the traditional mm -hmm. education system and are whip smart, yeah. right? They would be very good at, take a consulting company, right? At solving problems very elegantly, uh, creatively, using, using, uh, using their own learned uh, skills, right? That no less important, no less valid. Yeah just learn in a different context maybe, right? Yeah. These companies, as it turns out, they're not blind to that. They know this and they've known for a long time. Uh, I find that, 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 corporate, that the corporate world is often more progressive than the political world is in, in these matters because for them, it's just a matter of, it's always a matter of competing for talent. And they know, they know today that they are sending away lots of false negatives. In other words, they are falsely turning down applicants. Uh, that don't that could do very well, uh, but okay. that are being classified as as not worth pursuing at the moment. They're well aware of it, and of course, those candidates almost always will tend to be from non-traditional backgrounds, from from minority races, from uh, from uh, from uh, parts of the country that don't have the same level of of exposure as as those of us who live in Southern England do. Right? Yeah. So, knowing this, they, they want a, a maybe a more elegant or a more thoughtful way of measuring someone's potential, of measuring that against what their possible job performance could be. And I think they know that the tools that they're using now, they're fine. They work for them for some time, but they're, they're certainly imperfect. 
So what, what, what I've been really impressed with is the amount of, of excitement and energy we get from, from, from big employers. We work with, we work with a, a very large consulting company right now, McKinsey, uh, using our assessment for them, actually. They very famously uh, give multiple choice tests. They used to give multiple choice aptitude tests to their, to their candidates, uh, their job candidates, before they would hire them around the world. And now most of those job candidates take our assessment. And, and we, you know, and, you know we're, we're still at an early stage with them and we're, we're, going, we're going to continue to explore the correlation of performance on our test, uh, which we're hoping to use as a more generalized measure uh, than, than, again, that, that, that broader heuristic of, of, of testing for maths and so on. Yeah. Um, but we feel really positive and the results have been really good so far. So I, I think that's, that's, a, that's a cool story. And I, and I would only expect that to expand. I would only expect the, the mm-hmm. pressure and the excitement to, to pull from populations that will give them new things and help them adapt to the future to, to be broader. I think that's a pretty good story. Yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking, and it has been something that was pointed out um, by um, a couple of my listeners who have kind of said, you know, I really love listening to your podcast, Kath, but sometimes I don't understand the terminology and I don't understand what's that. So I'm going to say, um, A, that um, what we're talking about with heuristics here is the brain's way of understanding the world, but it's very lazy. And if you want to understand more about that, and it is a long read, go and read Daniel Kahneman's um, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. That's exactly what I was going to say. The best way, (laughs) even a couple of chapters from there will go a long way to to helping to demystify this for you. Um, Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's the type one, type two error that you have in um, standardized testing in terms of uh, science, you know, where where you say, okay, we're going to accept the null hypothesis when it turns out that that's the one you shouldn't have accepted. So, yeah, I think that that means people can go off and do their own reading if they're really interested in understanding a bit more about heuristics and, you know, why, why we make the errors that we do. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, that, that word, the way that we're using it here is really just a shortcut to, to thinking that works in most cases. Um, yeah, because brains are lazy. Good. Yeah, Good. and they have to be to survive, right? Yeah. Um, absolutely. Which actually takes us back to that outsourcing kind of question. That actually, if we get rid of all the the, the nitty gritty things that we were concentrating on, actually, we've got a bigger space to think about the things that are really important and give more cognitive space to them than you know the idea of yes, you know, just taking a second guess. I mean, this is this is what we talk about with intuition and so on. And intuition can actually be incorrect because that is the heuristic that you base it on. Yeah. It's an intuition you've taken from your your life knowledge <coughs> experiences, and and it won't always be right. I mean, that's the nature of it. You've had a, one perspective of the world. All of us have. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that's the difference between what you're doing and what I do in terms of um, therapy. As I sit with people, and I'm 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 interested in, and I'm going to use another big word, the phenomenology. I'm interested in the experience, the story, the frame of reference of that person, yes. and how they think. Because you're trying to really situate yourself in those shoes and understand how they're looking at the world and how they're confronting some challenge they're dealing with right yeah yeah that makes loads of sense that that's why that's a that's 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 a a type of work that has been so relevant to us for for so long right because we've always needed to to understand that frame of reference really really well um yeah yeah, i I just feel like we need to do both right like we need to we need to both give that frame of reference and not not assume that it's always the individual that needs to change but sometimes like society needs to change to to better be human-centric right yeah yeah oh i love that word now you're starting to come into the uh integral kind of philosophy background so that <laughs> this is oh i'm so excited you used that phrase and came over this way so this this brings us towards 
um, human potential. So this is like, how do you achieve your very best? So this is perhaps a little bit linking back into earlier, yep, that specialisation. So, and how, how does that fit with what we're talking about? Because we could go off on the, well, what you need to do is this, this, and this, and talk about fitness, health. Yeah. That's not, that's not what we're aiming at. I think that honestly, your approach to, to these questions is, is, is probably the most useful lens here. Um, I've been talking this whole time about, about how a, a university may want to assess you in a particular way or how a corporation, a potential employer may want to assess you in a particular way. But look, my feeling is that those things matter, but those are ephemeral, right? Those, those things, uh, they go away. They're, they're not, that, where you work and where you study are not the sum of your life and the sum of your potential contribution. You get to determine what that is every single day. Um, and especially as we happen to go through, go to uh, a working style wherein we are a little bit more project-based than we are employer-based, uh, it becomes incumbent on everyone to come to terms with who they want to be. Uh, and I think when you're, when you're in your early years, and by the way, on into your later years, exploration is a core part of that. Uh, yeah. you, and I think in order for you to do that, you need to feel permitted to do that. And you need to feel like uh, society is going, to, is going to incentivize you to do it, that, that you're not going to be held, held back somehow or looked askance at because you took time and effort to figure out who you are uh, and you experimented. I mean, my career has been uh, from a, a 1970s perspective, perhaps a disaster. I haven't done a, a single job for more than a year and a half. Um, but if, from my perspective, it's all been about course correction, right? Like I, you don't, I didn't know what I was good at to begin with. I had a very hard time knowing what I could specialize at. I did reasonably well at most things growing up. And uh, paradoxically, that was difficult for me. Um, and it meant that I didn't, I didn't know what to do at all after I graduated from university. I wandered mm -hmm. around. I, I went through lo lots of periods of unemployment. I could get lots of, I could get small jobs here and there, but I didn't feel passionate about, about anything. I didn't feel like I had yet met even one person whose career, not just that I admired, but that I wanted to emulate. Um, so I, I started with something that seemed like an okay guess. I started working in, in tech. Um, I, I, I really liked it. I, I found that there were things that the moment you start working, there's things about work that you, that you, that you will adore and things that you will dislike. And you'll start to realize that there's so many different ways to be smart, right? There's so many different yeah. skills you bring to a table that maybe you haven't even investigated properly. I, I, I do feel that one's career is, is a journey of self-awareness and it's a journey of you really understanding when you are at your most productive, when you are at your happiest, when you are when you are at your most contributive, um, and I, I I started in tech. I, I I happen to have studied, as you mentioned, political science, international security. I think you can hear that I'm really interested in how we structure ourselves and give ourselves the right institutions yeah. to incentivize yeah. the right behavior. I don't think humans have changed that much for since we've been around as a species, but I do think our institutions have, and and that's that's what's given us a shift. Mm -hmm. so that's my political scientist coming out, um, and and so I worked in the in the U.S. government for a while. I. I, I was a regulator in the Obama administration for, for tech policy. Uh, and there too, you have this scenario where we're trying to design what the right institutions are to, to, to ultimately benefit the people uh, best, best of all. Um, and then, you know, since then in my, in my life, I've, I've realized that I've, those are big, large projects I've worked on and I wanted to course correct into smaller ones and ones that are a little bit more precise where I can see the outcome of my, of my work. What I've yeah. just described to you here is not my end state. It's not, it's not my destination that I'm going to be a product manager forever or I'm even necessarily going to be interested in these types of projects forever. But mm -hmm. um, I, I do see myself as slowly tightening in, tightening in towards a target career where I'm, I'm spending more of a week happy, more of a week feeling fulfilled, more of a week feeling <laughs> challenged. But this is me applying that, that personal frame of reference that you've been talking about to my own self. And I, I think that, that we, we, have to, we have to build 
build the right tools and support and and incentives to to encourage every every growing person to to do that to them for them themselves yeah yeah that nicely ties in with the topic of flow so this is this is going back to that um what what makes me tick where do i get a buzz and and at what you know under what subject matter so this is the difficulty of primary school isn't it is um, there's not enough subject matters for children to get involved in to go this is the one I'm, I'm really good at and and that really for me only starts to begin with the adolescence when they get to the year in which they choose their options uh, year nine and then they get to go right I'm here for my education and this is what I want to do unfortunately we still have the standards you must have maths English science you know and what, what I tend to find with um, the, the young people in therapy is we will be talking about what passion they have. And quite often it's nothing that is provided within the school. You know, they might say, well, I've, I've got a passion for building equipment at the back of the local play. You sure. know, what I've found is that I'm really good at the construction and the artwork, but the artwork that I have to do in school is very restricted because I have to paint this picture, draw that. And, you know, and it, it, it is, it's, um, it, it's, it's, what do I want? What's the word I want here? It's encumbering, I think, for a lot of the children. They don't quite get to where they want to be. And by the time they get there with the current governmental, you know, stipulation, they're 19 or 20. Yeah, that does feel, yeah, it, it's hard, right? I mean, it, 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 that does feel too long. I think schools will have a really tough challenge here because you do need some, you do need to become an expert in certain basic skills in order to expand your process of discovery, mm-hmm. right? If you, if you can't read very well, you are going to have a very hard time exploring your potential and finding your, your options. Um, there are going to be some of those things that you do need to hone. Uh, I do think, I, as, just as you say, that once you're, once you're in secondary school, once you're in sort of ninth form and, and, and onward, I, I, I haven't gone through the education system in this country, but in mine, I, I do wish that I had, I had put more emphasis on, on my own self-discovery, on understanding my strengths, my weaknesses, where I felt happy, where I felt sad. And, and you know, it's not a very high barrier to entry. This is a thing that, that uh, any mentor could, could suggest to you. you. You keep a journal and you say, hey, today was I, when did I feel best, right? When did I feel worst? And you just do that for a while. And over a while, you start to realize like, oh, turns out when I'm really sleepy, I do bad at everything. And I feel like I only properly really appreciated that in my 20s, you know? Um, so I, I, I think that you do, I think that primary schools have a, have a burden. They have a lot of things that they ha- that they do have to teach. I, I, I'm not sure that they're always going to be the perfect answer for all of the diversity of, of skill sets you're talking about, um, because there's just so many, right? And if we, if we put, if we put our primary schools in the business of trying to guess at here are the skills <laughs> yeah. that you might want, I bet that's going to be a big can of worms. So the question is what else can we have in our society, in our homes and our families and our communities that can support that exploration outside of the classroom? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, we could we could get into the and how how um, passion is squashed. <laughs> I won't go down that one's for off air and usually my personal opinions about you know what does happen in the education system about you know where a child actually does start to develop fantastic skills and a passion and obsession and it gets quashed by you know that that this child shouldn't be doing this they should be paying attention to this. Yeah. I put the <clears throat> on my own self and I've had a really hard time with it. I. Uh, I've always loved games. I grew up loving games and I never grew out of it. I continue to, to play games today. I, can, I try to design games that my friends and I can play. And I was never, ever willing. I was an expert hoop jumper, right, growing up. And uh, to this day, even, I find it very difficult to, to say, like, no, you know what? Like, I'm going to try to make a career out of this. Um, yeah, it feels sometimes a bit frivolous or, or sometimes like a, a very out of, of what's normal. But 
no one ever did anything by by just doing what was normal, right? It takes, yeah. it takes um, some some boldness there, and I and I just wish I wish I had been more comfortable with myself when I was younger, right, to pursue it even even mm-hmm. earlier. I think, yeah, I wonder if that was the, the society that you were up against as well, you know, because it, it feels really difficult to fight against the system where you're, when you're particularly, you know, starting to develop your own self-identity and, and what that actually means for you and self-discovery is yeah. uh, an ongoing journey anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I, it's a bit of both, I bet, right? It's a, it's a bit of, of who you are, your personality, how much your inherent mm. style is one of, of sort of pushing at things. I, honestly, I would say mine wasn't right, and and I, I'm a I'm a people pleaser. I really like being uh, being in situations where I I have structure to do well in. And so what I've come to realize as an adult is I have to give myself that structure, right? I have to give myself a system in which I'm operating. Otherwise, it can become very lonely very quickly. So what? I'm just curious. What what games do you play at the minute then? Oh what my gosh, so many. I do you know? Uh, I've I've. I've been playing uh, a number of games on Switch lately. Um, I, I've been trying to find games that, uh, that, that my wife and I can play together. So my wife grew up playing, playing all the Final Fantasy games and I never had Sony systems. So I never really played those, played those growing up. And so I've always been really driven by, by narrative focused games. I love storytelling and I love yeah. how well games can tell stories, particularly stories of unusual perspectives or people in, in, in different boats than uh, than you typically see in other types of media, and games are so powerful because they embody you in that in that character, and they allow you to 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 poke at the edges of it. There's a there's a Taiwanese uh, there's actually a Taiwanese horror game that I've been playing recently called Detention, which is just a fascinating different perspective on on that genre that I would never have seen before. Um, there's a game set in in um, a mining town in Pittsburgh called Night in the Woods that I've been playing recently. It has a big focus on mental health and has a lot to talk about about declining, uh, declining smaller, smaller towns in, in America, which I find really poignant um, and funny. Um, yeah. I, I tend to be driven by those types of things a lot. Yeah, and, and for, those, for those who are listening, if you want to really understand kind of the embodiment, the avatar, go back and listen to the episodes with um, Tony Bean, who's written a book. Um, so he did a book called The Psychology of Zelda, which oh, is right. really interesting. It's, it's got um, that varying, varying ed, um, chapter contributions and some of them are about the music and what that does you know and how you can become part of your avatar you know for me that's exactly what games are which is kind of what we were we were talking about a little bit down at um yuki i noticed by the way that neither of us joined in in any of the games even though it was was a great conversation with you uh, yeah putting the world to rights in terms of what what was going on in the political system and and you know what was happening in terms of the 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 myth of games are the games are addictive games are going to essentially fry your brain yeah. and yet what i'm hearing actually is this is this is the same concept of thinking top down bottom up so it, it doesn't really matter which end of the spectrum you're coming right. from it's it's the same kind of uh, application and i think you just want experimentation on all of these things right you want people like you working working uh working as as widely in as in as many environments as possible on those you want companies like the one i happen to be working on trying to shake up the system at that broader level and the hope is that is that activity on both ends will be able to meet in the middle and transform what what the what yeah. society is like, right? Yeah, and that that's, that nicely ties in with. Um, I think we said it off air. I'm now trying to go. Did we say it on air or off air? Yeah, it's it's. Um, so my favourite phrase is these devices, these um, you know, the computer, whatever it is, tablets, phones, they're a medium and a tool, yeah. and that comes with positive and negative, regardless of what you're doing with it. 
Yeah, 100%. It's a, any tool is going to have problems. It's going to, it's going to carry with it costs. It's going to, there's going to be people who can manipulate it to a certain end. Um, and I think that media, media are particularly powerful tools because they're storytelling devices and we are storytelling creatures fundamentally, right? Yeah. We're, very, we're both very susceptible and we're very empowered by, by, by those things, depending on who we are, what our needs are at a, at a given moment. Um, and so I think to, to paint, to paint all of games as, as um, with the, with the brush of, of being, bad or violent or, or difficult is, is as if you were to say that this hammer can only be used in serial killer movies and never in any other format. It's a tool. Uh, you can do, you can build great things with them. Yeah. So before we end, what is the favorite, what is your favorite part of your job then Saga? Why do, why do you do, usually I ask this at the beginning, but why do you do what you do? What, what's your favorite part about the job that you do? What do you get a buzz from? Yeah, this is a great question. I think if I were doing this job seven years ago and you had asked me, I would say that is that my, my favorite part would be would be part of designing this part would be being part of the project to try to shake up to, sh to shake up the education system. Um, and that I felt that, that that's a worthwhile cause. I still do. I still do. But I found that in these last three, four five years, I get a lot more buzz, a lot more joy from the, the really specific incremental design work that I get to I get to do that I get to build a product and see that it has all sorts of problems with it uh, and very slowly find each bottleneck and correct them um, if it's a little hard to log in making that a little bit smoother uh, gives me a, a, like a little jolt of energy uh, yeah. if if I can take a system that that had people manually intervening all sorts of ways and, and we can make it a bit more automatic a bit more a bit cleaner um, that makes me feel really solid too if we can take something that that didn't exist and 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 build and build a a tool to to help support it, uh, and we can do so quickly and, and and with relatively high quality, that's really that's really energizing too. So yeah, I've gone from I think being more motivated by scope to being more motivated by efficacy to being to sort of be able to see an outcome mm -hmm. of the work I'm doing. It almost it almost feels actually the end result is to, to create a level playing field so that all humans can reach where they need to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's quite a cause, isn't it? You know that, well, that is a Dharma. <laughs> it is that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything else you would want anybody to know in terms of um, anything about yourself, anything about the company, anything about your doing? Yeah, sure. I, I would say, We've talked a lot about my company here. My my personal interests are really driven by games, as you as you as you've heard. Um, I have a few little projects here and there, including some experimental ones that that you could find on my website. It's Hello Sagar. That's S A G A R. Uh, Hello Sagar .com. Uh, Just a handful of things there. I, I I write there. I do a little fiction and uh, a little fiction blog and, and things of that nature. Uh, but yeah, that, this is me. I, it's been it's uh, it's really nice to have conversations like these because I think. I think we've been able, we were able to touch on all, all sorts of elements of, of, mm -hmm. uh, of our perspectives and our, our approach to the world here. Yeah. So I feel like I've laid it all out here. Um, oh. <laughs> you've got a good sense of who I am. Yeah. I will make sure that um, uh, part of your bio and the, the links that we've talked about are in the show notes. Um, so if, if afterwards you think, oh, actually, this is a really good piece of information people might need. Um, so I'll have to remember, I have jotted it down that I'm going to have to put um, Daniel Kahneman's book in there so that people can yeah. go find that yeah. one as well. Um, and anything else I might suddenly remember whilst <laughs> afterwards. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time to, you know, have this conversation with me, Saga. Thank you so much, Kat, for making a platform for it. I'm, I'm, I'm just so pleased to be able to do it and excited to see where this conversation keeps going. Yeah, thank you.
podcast was edited by Rory Kavanagh, an audio enthusiast and music producer.